Every department's goal is to keep their communities, the public, and their officers safe. The key to making this happen is with realistic and effective training. That's exactly what Vertra does. Vertra provides immersive simulators, multi-branching interactive scenarios, and real-world training tools to law enforcement in over 40 countries worldwide. With training situations that deal with everything from de-escalation and duty to intervene all the way to marksmanship and multi-incident active shooter drills, officers can practice verbal skills, de-escalation techniques, and increase their practical skills with tools they actually use in the field. Virtua simulators can use real firearms and less lethal devices that officers deploy while on duty. With no permanent modification required, officers can even use their own service weapons and less lethals for simulation training. Virtua does not rely on bulky headsets that restrict vision and can cause VR sickness, minimizing the negative effects and training scars that some simulation training creates. Virtua scenarios are filmed with real actors, not computer-generated characters, creating a more lifelike interaction and bringing in the human factor that is necessary to effective and realistic training. Agencies like FLETC, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and local, state, and federal police utilize Virtua simulation training with great success and measured positive results. Virtua makes it easy to get started with initial and continued support on the operation of your department simulator. There are several training grants available as well, and Virtua will even help you guide to see what assistance you might qualify for. Realistic and effective training is absolutely necessary to protect not only the public, but your officers as well. Put your training budget to the best possible use with a Virtra simulator and give your officers what they need to be safe. Virtra, where fortune favors the trained. You're going to love my next guest. She is amazing. Nicole Florisi is a law enforcement subject matter expert with Vertra. She is also a veteran Leo of many years. And lastly, get this, she's also a clinician working with first responders all the time to help them get better. Now, this show, we're going to cover a lot of topics including the work she is doing, much-needed work she is doing at Vertra, along with some advice for your mental health and wellness. Nicole Florisi, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning into the show. That's why this is a top-ranked podcast. Top-ranked because of you, the listener and supporter. Thank you so much. If you love the show, I ask you two things. Share it with your family and friends and give us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. A special thanks to you. The Leo, the first responder, fire, EMS, corrections, whatever you are doing out there, thank you for doing it. And remember this, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Keep up the fantastic work. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go.
Hello, everybody. Very excited to have my next guest on the show, Nicole Florisi. She is a law enforcement subject matter expert with an extensive background in law enforcement, including working with Force Science and all kinds of other accolades. She now works for Vertra. Nicole, thank you for being here. We just had a whole conversation before we even hit record. <laughs> we did. It was really good, too. It's unfortunate everybody missed out on it. <laughs> now, I know your law enforcement background, for, but the, for the listener out there, Nicole, uh, Nicole, tell them a little bit about your background, because it's significant. You got some badass training. You got some some well, pretty cool thank you. Um, yes, obviously, I have um, a background in law enforcement, um, 22 years uh, as a sworn officer. I did have communications background prior to that. Um, but I decided I was going to have to retire at some point, and uh, I still want to help people, as cliche as that may sound to no, anybody. that's very important. Um, I'm all about that. Um, so my background is in professional counseling, so I have a master's in counseling. I've worked as a therapist. My preference uh, is like crisis and high suicidality and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable um, with that population. So, um, but I can work wherever, um, you know, adult, youth, whatever that is. Um, I have a, two post-master's degrees. I have one in trauma counseling. I have one in human factor psychology. And then I'm currently working on my PhD in clinical psychology. You have enough degrees. You have enough uh, degrees no. No, and I don't necessarily believe that degrees make the person, um, but by God, it definitely helps you in expert witness testing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, I one of the, one of the things you work on with Virtua is de-escalation, yes. right? Resiliency, mental health. I want to I want to talk about those areas if if we can, and how Virtua aids in that. De-escalation. You know, we see it all over the news today. You you see this latest latest. We were talking about this latest unfortunate incident in law enforcement. De-escalation. How can officers de-escalate better, if that makes sense? You know what I mean? How, how do you approach it as an expert? So first off, I do definitely want to say this. I don't think that we're bad at de-escalation. I already think we're really great at it. So no, I, I, to... I think we are too. But you know as well as I do, there are some instances where officers should have de-escalated. Yeah, that's a narrow window. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think that's a very tough thing to say broadly yeah. um, because that's why you know, you're the expert, right? What was their decision-making process? Yeah. What was going through their mind? I mean, there's all sorts of things that factor in one, the ability to deescalate, but I really want to, for the audience, I really want you to think about deescalation a little differently. And, and one thing is that there is nothing, how should I put this? You're not deescalating anyone. Mm -hmm. You're providing the space for them to do it themselves. And Very I think well said, yeah. it really I like that. needs to be out there because if someone really doesn't get that, they're going to assume when we show up, we have these tools and, and take the best train. I mean, you are very, very kind about my background. Um, I, I am a great communicator, but I can assure you standing, sitting right here, I can't deescalate everyone. If you want, you know, and there's air quotes, um, yeah. you know, if you're on um, just audio only uh, because you cannot mandate policy demand or hope that another human being can connect with someone else it's a participatory process the the foundation for connection has to actually exist um so and there is in the problem probably yes yeah. and we don't really talk about that you know we don't talk about the populations that we have no no chance of really de-escalating um whether it's uh with dr john he has a tub profile and it focuses on um, thought emotion and behavior we teach that at for science, but for the sake of this, if somebody is too contaminated, for an example, there there's literally no ability to um to connect with them. Um, you know, you could be talking for the next year, not going to help you, right? Um, same thing, whether it's a medical emergency, a crisis, a mental health emergency, whatever that foundation is. Um, there's no amount of want, hope, Monday morning quarterbacking, hindsight, bias, you know, wishing it would have happened is going to make that connection. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't talk about the other side of the population, which is your psychopath population, sometimes some of your sociopaths, um, people who choose not to. They can choose not to. There are people out there who will not participate in your process, no matter what you do, no matter what you say. Um, anti-conformist, criminally minded, anti-law enforcement, you know, whatever their mindset is, and they can choose not to. And the expectation that an officer is showing up, and I'm, again, I'm just going to say with all this perfect, right, you know, amount of de-escalation training and uh, understanding of human behavior uh, through the lens that gets pushed to the media, there's that expectation 
that that it's always possible. And that's a disservice uh, to all of law enforcement. You can't policy de-escalation. You can ask law enforcement to do your best to try and do it, but I'm gonna be honest, we get hurt when we're talking and we should be doing. And the uncomfortable conversation is sometimes a quick, appropriate application of force um, applied right away. It's the quickest, safest way to de-escalate the problem. And nobody wants that conversation. Yeah. It turns into what Lon talked about on your last podcast um, that I watched. And that was violence isn't pretty. You can't put mm-hmm. a bow on it, right? Yeah. Well, you can't take de-escalation and do that same thing. If, if force is required, force is required at that time. Um, and, and, but it, and, and we, you know as well as I do, Nicole, I mean, and I think people forget this, the vast majority of contacts out there that first responders, law enforcement make every day do not result in any type of force. But I think what happens is media, this is my biggest beef with them, they get one incident. Now, some of the stuff we've seen in recent years, okay, it's over the top, they should, the officers effed up. But the vast majority of officers go out there every day, make hundreds of thousands of contacts without any type of use of force. Maybe they're going hands-on to cuff and stuff like that, but you know that. So they no, get spun out of control a lot of times. Right, but you see headlines that, um, you know, where people saying things like, well, regardless of this force, regardless of if the force was necessary or appropriate, appropriate, we shouldn't kill any more people. Well, you well, that's... can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I hear you. I, there's nobody that puts on this uniform that should want to go out and kill anyone. Okay, that, that's not the Absolutely. goal out there, um, you know, just and honestly, as, as goofy as we're not just like capping people for the heck of it. Um, but you're right on the media spin when it is. And then some law enforcement officers have made some very, very poor choices. We can agree on that. But that isn't representation of a whole. Absolutely. People get focused where it's bad cops. It's bad cops. I would submit to you that there are bad people who make it into every single career. Absolutely. Well, career. It's Absolutely. Bad people, not bad cops. Absolutely. Okay. And you know, and, but you know, with law enforcement, we have a, you know, maybe lack of a better word, target on our back because we have the power to detain. You know, we have the power to take your liberty. We have the powerful God, uh, power, God forbid, to take your life. So there's more scrutiny on first responders and there should be. But I agree with you 100 percent. You know, I mean, no cop gets up in the morning. Nicole kisses her significant other goodbye and says, you know, I'm going to go out and kill somebody today. I'm going to put everything on the line. I'm going to risk losing my house, risk going to prison, risk getting prosecuted, all that stuff because they want to go out and kill people. It's just ridiculous. That's sad is that a lot of people think like that. They do. Um, I mean, you just see global statements, whether it's trolls or how people truly think on social media, you know, it's, it's all about the badge, you know, they're, they're just attached to the badge. That's what makes them, you know, it's all about the power, power tripping, stuff like that. Um, and that could be farther from the truth, but you know, people have their own, um, pers- you know, perspective, their own experiences, whatever that may be. Um, and, and it, you know, it drives their thoughts. It drives, you know, them and the media just doesn't help us. I kind of think, you know, what you're doing is critical and, you know, others who are doing this kind of work, because I think we need to be out there pushing the narrative just as equal as the media is. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. We have to be out there educating people. People only know what they know. And this is about most people get it off TV and the movies. (laughs) Right. So if they don't know how the brain works, if they don't understand use of force, if they don't have those experiences, if we don't educate them on human factor psychology, if we don't educate them on the limitations of human performance, that that's really the the, the critical part, the limitations of human performance. The badge isn't magic. Science doesn't disappear the moment you put your badge on. And people don't really get that. They have this expectation of um, superhuman decision-making, superhuman athletics. Well, don't you think, don't you think, I mean, you're an expert in this, Nicole. I mean, don't you think people are through the years of television and movies, they're disconditioned, you know, to, to, okay, the cop can shoot the gun out of the hand or the knife out of the hand and do all these crazy ass shit that nobody's ever seen before in real life because people are conditioned, right? It's like the CSI effect. Right. Yeah. You know, you, come back and you solve a crime within, um, you know, your one hour episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I don't no, think the I agree with you. Hollywood, you know, helps with that because then there's an expectation. People are, are I think the last I saw was like a third of shows out there, maybe more are, you know, law enforcement, law enforcement related, which is good. But it's Hollywood. And the problem is you get people who go in now they're in part of a jury. 
now that's their expectations because like you said they don't know the realism behind it they don't know the science behind it and and to me that's the biggest thing and we don't get to pick and choose what science that we want science is science and we can't just you know we like this science we adopt it um but we don't like this no we're not going to that's not how it works with law enforcement yeah yeah brain is brain is brain training is training is training science is science is science and we need to be just part of pushing that out and, you know, like, for example, you know, we we're talking about having, you know, a virtuous system, you know, when, when I had just Amazing. a screen, yeah. we ran, you know, our town manager through and we ran um, this, our town council through. And, you know, I would submit to anybody who has an opportunity to do that. Like you change thought process and perspective. I remember running one of the council members through a domestic violence scenario. Um, and he, um, if for lack of a word, shot the wrong person, right? He shot um, who would be the victim just based on some behaviors. And in what? A controlled environment, but still a compressed decision-making. Yeah. And he looked at me and he goes, I just shot the wrong person. And I said, yes. So just remember this feeling right here, if something happens within our community or nationally about what happened in that compressed time, is it really about wrong or is it about let's look at everything that factored into that narrow, narrow window for the officer to make that decision? Absolutely. You know, that's huge. And that's how you build relationships. Yep. It's individual people educating them. And if they choose not to take it, you know, we've done our best. But for those who just don't know, those are the people we need to build the relationships with. So they understand. Yeah. Um, right. We're climbing a big hill with with what people are used to conditioned. Yeah. Right. That's why, and, and it was so funny. You mentioned, you know, running some people through the, uh, the simulations. I went through one and the audience knows I was with, I was with Virtra a couple of weeks ago and there was a scenario, it was a de-escalation scenario where I went in and I was like, Oh shit, you know, something's going to happen. Somebody's going to pop out, you know, but it was a, a gentleman that was sitting there on a lawn chair in an alley. And he was just, you know, going on and on. It was, you know, he had a something going on upstairs. You could tell. But the whole purpose of it, it was so real and so immersive that it, it, I was waiting for something to happen. But the whole point of the simulation, it was de-escalation. He was approaching me and I was using my de-escalation skills. I was using, you know, verbal judo, whatever you want to call it now. And I got him to do it, de-escalate. So it's so important, like Nicole said, to if, if there's an opportunity for people, the listener, to go through one of these simulations with Bertrand, do it because it really opens your eyes, especially civilians. It's huge. You know, you, where where you, you see civilians like, oh, my God, OK, this is what cops are doing every day. They're making those split second decisions. Split yeah, second with, decisions. With, you know, their career on the line, um, getting criminally charged for what are really mistakes I mean, we're going to say it's a mistake in a compressed time, a decision, you know, or they're just getting hung out to dry by their department just because it's a it's political, like right, wrong or different. People don't like that. But it is, um, you know, a lot of the research and this is anecdotal at this point. So I just want to make everybody aware of that. But I work and as do you with a big, you know, first responder psychologists and therapists and, you know, crisis intervention population. Thank you for doing that, by the way. That's oh. huge. And you as well. I appreciate that. Yeah. But the biggest thing what I see is, you know, people tend to work through their critical incidents um, at whatever pace, you know, it is for them. But the hang up comes from agency betrayal. Mm -hmm. It's their department. It's the people in their department um, calling them weak, thinking they should have acted different. Monday morning quarterback. Do you, do you think and I hate to interrupt you, Nicole, but I, oh, do, you, do you think that that's ever going to change? For the better. I, I think people are more aware now. I think some agencies are getting better with it and actually being more proactive, but we still have a long way to go. In your expertise, in your experience, do you think we're getting better with that? Because I agree with you. Getting better slowly. It's like turning like, I want to say the Titanic, but Titanic sunk. So it's like something more positive, right? <laughs> something um, bigger. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, like it, trying it's to stop slow. a train track right. or a train, it's you know, going 100 slow. miles an hour. Um, I think we are getting better. I think there's some fantastic leadership out there. I mean, they are embracing the science behind what is appropriate, but we have to agree that politics plays a part. And politics play a part. Um, I'm just going to be honest. Um, it serves a social justice lens, and you can't meet a social justice objective. You really can't do that. You know, um, it doesn't work like that. That's not how law enforcement works. We work where we can attend to certain things. We can talk about crisis response and mental health and what hat do people want us to wear and what are we doing for suicide intervention, not just for ourselves, but in the community. 
But the bottom line, you know, when you think about that, that social justice lens sets officers up for failure. And it ties right into people don't like violence. People, you know, they only like it when it's about them and their family. If you do a quick, swift intervention and take care of business and it directly affects them and there's a there is a desirable outcome. Um, hey, they're, they're all high five in you. But, the but, bottom but, line- but it goes back to what you said. And I agree with you. Look, law enforcement policing is sometimes violent. You it's sometimes dirty. You know, yeah. it's sometimes you have to go hands on. That's never going to change. At least I hope hope not. No cop. It goes back to what you said, Nicole. No cop wants to go out there and use force. But unfortunately, the world we live in, sometimes you have to use force. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, our world requires force. I mean, that's the bottom line, unless you end up where, you know, they're taking away what some of our job is. Right. You you can't stop for this. You can't intervene on this missionary. You can't do that. I mean, which which unfortunately creates a more violent society um, for those people who are living in that environment. And most people who have especially who live in a high crime area, you know, they want the cops there. They want them because they want that stuff reduced. They want a safe environment for their family. And so it is, it is just such a dichotomy when you really start digging into it. It's it's a tough spot to be in. But I mean, honestly, this is one of the ways that we get to reach people to make a difference. You know, I am very lucky. I work with Vertri. I get to teach around the country, you know, um, working with force science. I, I'm yeah. very, very blessed to be able to, you know, have an audience to pass some of these messages out. Absolutely. But, but 99% of the time, those people aren't the ones who need to hear it. It's other, you know, it's others that need to hear it. Yeah, it's the masses. It's yeah. you know, it's it's the people. I mean, you know, educating people better. And unfortunately, you know this with, you know, it's this is why my irk with social media and, you know, the the community, the mass communicative world we're in right now where information is, is that, you know, people see a clip, you know. 15 second 20 second clip of a ois or something like that and then they made a judgment already instead of educating themselves and instead of waiting for the facts to come in and it doesn't help when you now you have politicians that are involved and it's political you know what i mean yeah so it was interesting you and i were having a conversation before we started and you made a really good point thank god that there's still people brave men and women who are getting into the field but a lot of people I talk to, you know, Nicole, and, and you too, because you said, I mean, they don't want to get in law enforcement. They're afraid. Thank God people are still going into law enforcement, but not at the numbers we saw in the past. There's still many departments that are understaffed with yeah. no signs of slowing down. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. And, you know, kind of like I told you, we as individual law enforcement officers have to be advocates for the fact that this is a sacred calling. Yeah, We really, really do. We, we have to be out there and not joke about the, don't be a copy of firefighter. Everybody loves firefighters. You know, it's stop because that falls on ears that that may make a huge difference to this job is sacred. I truly, truly believe that like equal, um, to anybody who has military service, when when you are willing to put your life on the line and, you know, people start to talk about like it's cliche, the service above self. To me, there is no greater calling if you are willing to put your life on the line. Absolutely. And you talk about that. But we also have to be part of the conversation with whomever asks us, regardless of the political climate. This is a sacred calling. And every day we make a difference every day. Absolutely. It's a speeding ticket, a warning. Uh, if it's a DUI arrest, by God, I know you save somebody's life, whether it's that person's or somebody else's. Those are the type of things where we get to make a difference. And, you know, that scale is very large of all the different types of crime uh, that we can investigate and, inter, you know, intercede and intervene um, and potentially, you know, like I said, you know, in- increase those desirable outcomes. Um for, for individuals, like for communities as a whole. And, and that's huge, but we also have to push that narrative as well. Hey, you know, there's the education component in science and there's by God, like we have to step up and say, Hey, like, if not us, who, if not us, who, because it is an absolutely sacred calling. And we have to have those conversations with people. Um, so they, for lack of a better word, honestly, remember that yeah. because it wasn't always like this. Yeah, it wasn't. And but I'm a firm believer, and I don't know if you are, that, that you know, the pendulum is always, you know, always comes back around. You know what I mean? I mean, law enforcement, you, you've done it a long time. I did it. You're still doing it. Um, you know, we have, you know, the peaks and valleys. 
you know, but it always gets better. Maybe I'm just naive, but it always gets better <laughs> down the road, right? Um, the truth is I like to think so. Cause you're right. The pendulum, the pendulum is not static. It will swing. Yeah. Um, where, where it's going to end up when it bounces back from where it is right now. Um, that's going to be its own interesting, um, sociological experiment. I think I would just throw that out there. Um, but when it settles down a little bit more, you know, it just kind of goes into the media lens. I don't think people in the communities hate us the way we're portrayed. No, I really think the don't. vast majority of people out there love law enforcement. You bet. You uh, bet. I just think that they're afraid to vocalize that a yes. lot for the thing, you know, because they don't, oh my God, he has a thin blue line flag up, you know, that's well, horrible. My family will call me, um, What's and, you know, and say, nope, look, hey, you guys shot people in the back again, right? My, my own relatives, yeah. um, you know, and then we have an educated conversation and they can take it or leave it, right? But it, it, it it's the people close to you sometimes don't know, no matter how you do your best, right? But if, if they're the ones calling and asking and making those judgments, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. Because sometimes I, I jokingly say uh, when I'm teaching, uh, you talk about use of force and how really overall it's fairly almost infinitesimal, really, when you think about it, right? Yeah, it's so um, small. It's so small. Um, but I jokingly say, hey, at Thanksgiving or Christmas, if you want to have a really fun conversation, um, ask people how often you, the percentage you think um, that they think we use force in law enforcement. And it is oh, no kidding. 80%, oh, oh my God, it's horrible. Like 20% all the time. <laughs> right? But I want you to really think about that for a second, because if you let that sit, it's no kidding that there is a disconnect. If people truly thought, even I'll just go with 50% of the time, that we were using force 50% of the time, which is not even close to the case. Um, it's no kidding that people are concerned, but they're concerned with the wrong information. Well, the numbers and, don't back that up. No, they don't. But how are they getting those numbers? It's a thing that you're saying, like the media. Either media, stuff, social right? media, you, TikTok, you friends. Stuff, right? I mean, where those numbers aren't pushed out appropriately, it's just like you talk about 15 seconds of a bad camera angle. Say say this 15 seconds looks bad, right? And again, there's my air quotes because that's that's all it is. Maybe it's an angle where somebody doesn't have a firearm, you know, same thing. But where's the conversation a couple of weeks later or a month later when the full investigation's done and there's 12 more camera angles that clearly show a firearm? No, no, no. We're, you know, most people are left with that 15 second window, right? to make a judgment on we did another shooting, right, from an unarmed individual, and that's not true. But where is the opposite narrative of absolutely, that's not what we did, and let's discuss it, and let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, plus a separate conversation about if we do shoot an unarmed individual, for whatever that reason, unarmed doesn't mean nonviolent. I mean, there's all these conversations that really, you know, need to be had, um, you know, far, far more expanded than just you and I sitting here, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. And, and like we were talking about, I, I think, I think people just, it's just, maybe it's always been this way, but they get most of their information off television or the movies or now social media, and they just run with it, which baffles me because we have information at our fingertips. We all know that now, now you got to vet that information, but just educate yourself a little bit. Not all cops are out there. Most cops, 99% of them are good people. They're out there trying to do a difficult job, trying to take care of their families, they're not out there running and gunning like everybody thinks they're doing all the time. Not well, everybody, some people. Right. I mean, you know, like we talked about, there's always a, sometimes a challenging person ends up in the profession who makes some poor decisions. We can agree on that. And, but, and the thing, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Nicole. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, if we could segue a little bit into um, the mental health, because you, you have a clinical background and how is this effect? You talk to a ton of people. I mean, you're all around, you're doing trainings, you're talking to first responders. I mean, I, I, that's a stupid question, but I'll, I mean, mentally, the mental health aspect of it, the resiliency, and I know you work with that a lot. This is eating away at officers and first responders, you know, their mental health, they're being able to come back and bounce back when you have, it seems like a lot of people. Not everybody, I think the vast majority, like we said, support first responders. But when officers pick up a phone or they look through social media, hear a news report, we're attacking law enforcement again mentally. Oh, you that bet. That's got to take a um, toll. And the military, unfortunately, gets the same. And yeah, I military just, too. 
bad rap from that, yeah. but first responders, you bet. So you and I had mentioned this before we uh, started the podcast, but there's a lot of people who talk the talk and don't walk the walk. Absolutely. So now on the opposite end, there are some absolutely fantastic leaders out there dialed in, doing great things, definitely, uh, you know, focusing on, hey, this is not check the box. Because I'm going to tell you right now what check the box resiliency training does is it gets people killed. It's another bullet somebody's going to eat. I'm sick of check the box training, period. But especially when it comes to resiliency skills and coping skills and any type of whether it's post-traumatic stress, you know, whatever's on the end of it, this day, disorder, injury, like, you know, words are pretty powerful. That's important to people. But the bottom line is, you know, we have to be part of doing, showing, having people work through these skills. You know, even as a therapist, if you call with the civilian population, I don't just sit and talk and go, hey, you need to do this relaxation breathing technique, <laughs> right? I don't talk. I mean, yeah, I yeah, yeah. like this may help you, but we do it together. We do it together. Absolutely. Because how do I know that they know how to do the technique if I don't work with them, if I don't help them through it, and then we see, hey, is this going to work for you? Is this a technique that is going to work? And then they know how to do it. They've done it with me. They understand the benefits of it. And then they can go out and, and practice it. Um, you know, and practice it not in the midst of a crisis. You know, it's like training any other part of you. You're training your brain, you're training your muscles, you're training, training, training. Um, and resiliency skills are that. So this whole talk, talk, talk about resiliency skills does frustrate me because it is implement the skills and have people do the skills. And, you know, trainers need to be part of this because they have to make it okay. The environment has to be okay. If somebody is starting to, you know, chest breathe, they're getting a little jacked up and that adrenaline's coursing through them and they've learned a skill to manage that. I tell you what, what do you think is going to weigh on their mind? Do I do my skill or do I look like a fool in front of my trainer who thinks I'm weak if I do yeah, this? Right? Absolutely. So this has to be on a lot of different levels. Um, primarily individual, because we have to be the ones that do the skills. You know, we have to learn them and then do them um, for ourselves. But we have to create the environment in each of our workplaces where it is absolutely okay to do these. And it is comfortable and it is normalized, just like all the bull crap about being weak used to be the norm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are drinking themselves to sleep with all their horrible pictures in their head. That used to be the norm and that used to be accepted. We already know that's not the way to go. Let's put it in practice that the resiliency and coping skills are accepted and it's a comfortable environment for people to be able to experience that, that yeah. they may need a minute after a bad call. And by minute, I mean longer, um, yeah. you know, but they might need to go back to the station and, uh, you know, sit with that. Meditate for a or, or do something, breathe. Oh, I mean, you know, you know I, I'm a big fan of all types of breathing exercise because, you know, oh, so am I. do anywhere, breathe, right? Breathe. And I'm we a big, I'm a big fan of meditation. You know, um, now if you would ask me, Nicole, a handful of years ago, about meditation. What are you crazy? Well, you sitting there with your legs crossed and eh. I am all on board with mindfulness and meditation and breathing. And there's a reason why you know this, that elite military units, sports teams, professional sports teams have adopted mindfulness training, yoga, meditation, you bet. breathing, because it works. It does. But the problem comes in, and I think this is one of the biggest disconnects, especially with the, uh, uh, let's go with somebody who has unmanaged trauma. Let's just go there. Um, mindfulness is absolutely fantastic um, in little doses for first responders. Um, but if they have unmanaged trauma, absolutely, I agree the with conversation, because we, we don't really talk about that. And I, I tend to see a disconnect with some people who teach sometimes a first responder yoga and whatnot is that meditation when you have unmanaged trauma tends to have some very very severe rebound effects and we don't I have that conversation so sometimes i think you know people who maybe don't have a i don't i don't know how you want to put it a very robust mental health background or in trauma don't understand uh some of the challenges that come across because mindfulness by far if i could pick like a technique right along with like bilateral processing and bilateral stimulation mindfulness right is to be ground yourself to be yeah. present present in the moment you know um because it's really hard to feel anything else except for what you're focusing on in the present except for those people who their mind's not ready for that yeah and, and, I, and I and i agree with you and with your background yeah. i agree with you 100 i i my mindfulness and my meditation became stronger with the foundation i got when i went to treatment 
for yes. my trauma. And now it is so much better because I had to resolve and I had to attack those, like you said, unresolved trauma before I could be better at it. So I agree with yeah. you. So, but you know, if I could pick, and you see that it's not just even in the first responder population, there's a lot oh, of about in, integrating mindfulness-based techniques of some type and, you know, just to manage, um, just overwhelming emotion, you know, it doesn't have to, um, for lack of a better word, tip off the deep end into like a, an absolute crisis, right? But something that's overwhelming. So it's hard to be overwhelmed if you can present focus yourself. So, you know, a lot of times when I go around, I teach very, very quick grounding techniques, you know, mm -hmm. things that don't take more than 60 seconds or, you know, to two minutes, because that's, that's an opportune window of time for somebody to maybe get grounded for a little while, not have as bad of a rebound effect, you know? Um, but if we don't, uh, again, like, I love the energy you put behind talking about that. You're like, look, like this is important. And, and Absolutely. I hear, this I is the stuff I wish, I wish you were around when I was a younger cop, Nicole, so to, to teach me this. Because I mean, I'll you know better you know you know it's better late than never. Right. But this is what this is the foundation, part of the foundation that we need to be teaching new officers, the next generation. Yes. Uh, to you need to learn these skills, these coping skills, whatever you want to call it, meditation, mindfulness, because that's going to help you grounding in your career, your grounding techniques. Yeah. How to do? You know, I'm I'm a huge fan of EMDR therapy. I love EMDR. Type, there, there's little things people can do to, you know, evoke that bilateral, you know, stimulation. And I, you know, I, from the most part, when I've had somebody come up to say, I didn't have a good interaction or, you know, it didn't really work for me. Um, again, this isn't a slam on anybody in particular. I always wonder, well, is because you weren't ready and the practitioner had you engage in something that you weren't ready for? Um, because that's a conversation too. Sometimes people go out, you know, and Hey, I, I want EMDR therapy. I want it right now. Like with no consideration for how stable is that person? What, you know, are there going to be additional rebound effects? You know, I get to work with some fantastic people. I work with Dr. Robbie Adler Tapia, who mm -hmm. has probably by far, in my opinion, the best book on first responder resiliency and coping called one badge, one brain, one life. It, it, Ooh, I like that. Absolutely fantastic, but it integrates realistic skills that are going to help people get grounded. Um, that that do evoke that bilateral stimulation, bilateral processing. You know, um, most people are familiar, as I'm sure you, with box breathing. You know, yeah. right? um, well, you can turn that into a bilateral exercise if, when you breathe, you move your eyes, right? And mm -hmm. so, and I can send you some information on that if you want to give it to your listeners. Um, right from Doctor. Bobby, um, but basically you're incorporating, you know, part of bilateral stimulation in that. And then if you pair it with a word, so say that person chooses a word calm, you are literally training your brain to not just, okay, every time I take that breath or every time I say the word calm, pretty soon, all of that's overlapping. And this takes, you know, less than 30 seconds. Um, once you have practiced it and, and, you know, and we need to practice these skills when we're not stressed, you know, that's a conversation too, as you know, um, you may learn a skill, practice it with me as a therapist, but if the only time you implement it is when you're super stressed or overwhelmed, it could have some positive benefits. But if you practiced it, if you, if it's like anything else, if you, time, if you make it part of your routine, right? if you yeah. make it part of your routine, it's going to become second nature. Yes. And you just build on that. And I like what you said, not just in crisis, but every day you practice it, which is, I do it every day. And it helps me. And for the listener out there, we're not just talking, you know, we're talking professional and personal. And you know this, you know, Nicole, and hopefully the listener does. If you are not taking care of yourself, if you are not 100% or pretty close to that, how are you supposed to go out there and be effective on the street or whatever you're doing in law enforcement, the first responder field? You know, it's that old, I know it's, it's used all the time, you know, the oxygen mass falls. Okay, you have to put it on yourself first, right? Before you put right. it on anybody else. But it seems like it's hard to get that through to to a lot of people, especially first responders. It is. Um, and, you know, something to think about too is it can make somebody feel really good to help somebody. Absolutely. But when that becomes the primary coping skill in and of itself, it can have detrimental effects as well. If you pour all that energy, again, just like you mentioned, and you turn none of that for you, 
um, at some point there is going to be that rebound effect. Um, and it's going to manifest. Oh, you in, bet. in some way. I mean, you know, yeah. through addiction, yeah. through abuse, through mental health issues and challenges, it's going to, I don't care how big of a badass you think you are. It's going to manifest. It's going to oh. come to the surface. <laughs> you know, well, you know putting our little blindfold on and clicking our heels together three times <laughs> in a place like home doesn't make trauma disappear if that incident impacted somebody, right? Because that's the thing. Everybody is different. Some people are more naturally resilient. I think we can agree on that. Absolutely. Or perhaps they've had exposure in their life where they've got some really dialed in coping skills um, and they've learned some good resiliency techniques, you know, but the bottom line is overall, I think the brain's fantastic. I think most people agree it's got a pretty decent reset button, right? Oh, it's a bit of work that we do. Supercomputer in the universe. You know, it gets stuck once in a while. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it needs it's a reset. Stuck. Yeah. And so can we, can we get it unstuck quicker than not? That that's really it. And I think that's, that's, that's huge. And that is what makes the difference because it frustrates is a very, very mild word for how I feel about this, but there's not one first responder, not one person in the military, and honestly, not one human being on this earth who deserves if they have experienced something horrible, bad, tragic. The answer is not a crappy life or to eat a bullet. Not one person deserves that. And when it comes to first responders, since we're specifically hitting that population, when you have dedicated, made the choice of service above self that you would give your life for somebody else's, um, the way that you do that shouldn't be you took it yourself. If something happens on duty that was, um, and I'm just gonna go with unavoidable, like that's just what happened. We understand that's the risk of doing our job, but it should not be, you know, and just surviving to me is not good enough. It's not about eating a bullet. Surviving can be a short-term goal. It actually needs to boil down to people thriving. Yeah. It, you know, if, if sometimes we gotta take it one day at a time so we can take it a year at a time. And, that, and that's okay. But the goal should be healthiness and happiness and not Absolutely. where we're rooted right now. And not one first responder deserves any of that. Not one human being. And I say yeah. that just, I'm sure you have a listening, you know, audience probably outside of first responders. Absolutely. Um, but when you dedicate your life to service, the answer is not suicide. Yeah. It might and, seem like an answer at the time. And I get that, you know, and I get really tired as you know, we work in mental health people trying to logic their way out of that. You can't, you can't reason with somebody in that mindset. You yeah. can't provide them with all these logical solutions. Um, you can hopefully remind them of their coping skills, you know, give them that space to, you know, to allow for things to change. Um, you know, we talk about in therapy and we would never say this to anybody out loud. And so I'm telling the audience, please don't say this to anyone. You know, we have a <laughs> that says no feeling is final. No feeling is final. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to provide for people in our role, whatever that is, um, in first responders responding to it or as a peer um, in your department, um, that's what we're looking for. Can you allow for those feelings to change to that's something true. that is more desirable? That's what we have to focus on. But that ties right back to de-escalation when you really think about I was gonna, it. I was going to bring that back to de-escalation. Yep. I mean, it you all know, comes back. allow feelings to change. And that person's doing the work in their head. You're just giving them the safe space to do it. And ideally there's techniques that work better than not. Like we've all inadvertently pissed people off. Again, that's the biggest one. What it's reminds me? Crisis. Go ahead. And it reminds me of what I heard a long time ago. And maybe you've heard this before, you know, life, a lot of life is, we, we all need to learn new things, but a lot of life is unlearning stuff, you know? And being yeah. learning that unconditioned, you know, uncondition ourselves or unlearn stuff that we've been taught, or you need to act this way, or you need to show no emotion, or you need to hold things in. We need to unlearn that stuff. And sometimes that means therapy, whatever, counseling. There's no shame in that. Absolutely not. No it, it's like you goes back to what you said, Nicole. We have to reset. You know, we have to reset, and it's perfectly fine. But I still think that there's, you know, you say mental health to a first responder. I still think that there's that stigma. In fact, I know there is mental health. Well, everybody needs help. Right. I like officer wellness because wellness is incorporated yeah. a lot. But honestly, when they know what's underneath, they're still a little hinked up. I, I get it. It's just the same why we have challenges with post-traumatic stre post -traumatic stress disorder, right? It's a disorder in the book, like that's its name. If somebody receives a diagnosis, right? Like I can't, 
I can't not diagnose that if, if that is what it is, because the D's on the end of it and the magic DSM, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean me personally. And a lot of research says it absolutely is an injury, but that's why words are so powerful. People will shy away from a disorder. Like I'm just doing my job. Okay. It is an injury. Let's talk about all the studies out there about how the brain can be restored um, to a, a healthy baseline with appropriate therapy and intervention. It's no different than a physical injury. And that's really where I wish people could pair it up. Because if you broke your arm in childhood and it was not set right and your arms all, you know, jacked up, it is going to give you problems throughout your entire life until what, maybe you see a good reconstructive surgeon and they can fix that problem for you, but it doesn't mean it's painless and the recovery sure isn't painless, but that's the same with mental health. You know, if your brain is injured, um, I, I can tell you this, a lot of people don't, maybe they don't like their therapist because it's hard work. And I get that just like people don't like their physical well, life is hard. Right? Nothing is easy. You know? No. And it, you got to work at it. You know, recovery, it, that recovery journey can be really, really painful, yeah. but you know, at the end of the recovery journey, diminishment of pain. Yeah. And that's yeah. really, when we talk about keeping our eye on the prize, that's huge. And it's hard. It's hard. And, and that's, know, and that's the one thing getting back to, like Vertra and, and that realistic simulation training, the most realistic I've ever seen. If I have baggage that I'm, if something is going on mentally, and this is just a sterile environment, it's, it's, you know, not live rounds or anything like that. If you got stuff going on up here mentally, it's going to carry into that simulation where it should be instead of out on the field. And that's where yes. I love that type of training because if something's going on upstairs, not that, you know, shit's going on with me, but that you're going to bring it into that simulation. It's better to work it out there than to be out on the street. You know what I mean? Yes. But that's where you can normalize your resiliency skills. If exactly. You take prior to those use of force events and you taught somebody, um, whether it's box breathing prior or after, you know, whatever the technique is, um, you can't really implement box breathing in the middle of something. You can't box breathe while you're trying to drill somebody. Right? That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, can you, can you teach reset breathing? You know, um, can you teach any of those things that helps, you know, moderate and drops that, you know, for somebody. And if you normalize it in the department, in that training environment, especially because you're right, simulated event training is going to create those same physiological and psychological Absolutely. responses. You train it there. If you train it there, they get to practice it there. Um, and and then it becomes okay. And then it becomes like, hey, this is like the environment. And you just got, you just gave yourself an opportunity to practice because we skip it. Admittedly, you know this. We um, are at the mercy of time and budget for training. We know how much we have to do, but somebody experiences, whether it's live role-playing, simulated event scenario, they'll get their adrenaline dump. They got jelly legs going on. And you know what we say? have a nice day right and we send them on their way with the opportunities right in front of you to go hey let's talk about that physiological response let's talk about what's going on let's talk about your psychological acute stress response right now let's work through that together absolutely and then let's talk about how they implement it the next time and that is why i told you trainers have to be you know, I almost would say, I think leadership needs to be a huge part of it, but we have to have our trainers and our instructors and our coaches, you know, um, as part of, you know, buying into this because they're the ones that are going to have to normalize that training environment to make it okay. Absolutely. Nicole Sarisi, I could talk to you all day, (laughs) all day. If people want to reach out to you, I mean, we all know that you work for Vertra, is there any other way that they can reach out to you and get a hold of you? Yes. Yeah, so um, they can email me at Vertra at nflorisi at vertra.com. Um, but I'll be honest, um, God knows what could happen. I will give you my personal email just because I don't care if people have that because um, I want them to be able to reach me no matter what. So my personal email is nmflorisi at gmail.com. And I'm actually happy to provide you my phone number if you want to do like a little package of stuff um you know people can call me text me honestly you know the goal i'm i'm so blessed to be on your podcast and thank yeah. you so much for the invite absolutely you're awesome I want, to, I want to be a resource for anybody that needs it you know if they're looking for you know how to build scenarios and what that looks like and how can they incorporate resiliency training or are they just you know part of what i end up doing from the reach i have is just hooking up people with some good therapists or good psychologists across the nation. Um, I've been very lucky. To, 
I think we're building new relationships right here. We are. Um, Because I think you can agree, uh, having a vetted first responder psychologist or therapist is vital to treatment. It's absolutely vital. And that's what I love about your background. Not just that you work for virtual, which is awesome, is is that you are a first responder. You have many years of experience. You were acting chief at one point. So you, from the ground up, you have all that experience. And the point in all that is you get it. So when you talk to a first responder who's in crisis, you're going to have that immediate connection right off the bat, and not to mention your clinical background. So that is huge. I don't have to tell you, you know that. It's huge Thank you. in the mental health sphere when it comes to first responders. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very lucky with that because I, I do, people will tend to talk to me because, because of that. Absolutely. Why wouldn't they? And they know like, I, you know, Hey, I've been in those similar type of situations, not the exact, that's not how life works, but I can give them um, some good guidance and, you know, you know, whatever a person needs, I'm happy to try and connect them with services, skills, books, articles, you name it. Um, I'm happy to do anything I can and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, Thank you so much for being on the show. I'd love to have you back on. I could talk to you all day. Everything we talked about folks will be in the show notes. Nicole, thank you. God bless. And I hope to talk to you soon. Such a great show with Nicole, just a wealth of knowledge and experience. Check out the video of this interview on YouTube at the CJ Evolution podcast YouTube channel. Links are in the show notes. Go out there, conquer your day and be safe.